Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Vineyard. So good to have you. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. Good to have you in the house this morning. Uh, the title of today's message is Under Pressure. And that's David Bowie. He's going to be with us this morning. And that, that's just fun, isn't it? It's just fun. Yeah. Um, here's what I want to do. I just want to jump right in to get on with this. Uh, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you really, really felt under pressure? When you really felt the pressure? Maybe, maybe, it, was, maybe it was when you were giving a presentation at work and you'd been called upon. You're going to like talk to all the bosses or or maybe it was when you were playing in maybe a high school district game. All of a sudden, you'd been preparing for six, seven months, and, you know, it's time to perform or go home. Or, or maybe it was something else, you know? There are these moments in our lives when we feel real pressure, where we have to deliver. Maybe you needed to take a test. Uh, maybe it wasn't just a moment but maybe there's like a whole season of feeling under pressure. Anybody here ever had a whole season where you just felt like you're under the gun? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty normal human experience. All of a sudden, the stakes are higher. And some of us in the room, uh, when we think about pressure, uh, maybe there's a person or two in here and, and you live under this narrative. Uh, it's the narrative that kind of goes like this, like I perform better under pressure. Anybody here like that? Uh, I, that's how I always thought. Like, I always thought, like, I, I'm better under pressure. Like, give me a shorter time domain, and it, like, creates focus in me, and I feel, it looks, I, I, like the, I like the anxiety of it or whatever. And then I, I went online in the last two weeks, and I started reading about people's performance under pressure, and here's what the research says. No one performs better under pressure. And in fact, living, living longer under pressure, having extended seasons under, under pressure, is actually corrosive to your emotional and mental health. Did you know that? And even your physical abilities. So there's this popular maybe American narrative that says, you know, the real winners, we're the ones who grab it and we, we, we rise to the occasion. But the research basically says, uh, no, it just knocked everyone else out first and extended periods of pressure are corrosive to your core essence. I want to remind you of maybe someone. Uh, do you remember, just a few years ago, you remember the great American gymnast Simone Biles, the most decorated gymnast in American history? And do you remember at the Olympics, she had to take a step back? Why? Because she said competition was no longer good for her mental health. She took a lot of heat for that. I actually have no issue with that. Especially after you start doing some of the research, you start to realize that sometimes extended periods of pressure break people. Um, I want to remind you maybe of somebody else from American history, uh, Henry Ford. Henry Ford is sort of famous for the assembly line, right? 
You know, he said, you know, what we need to do is just get everybody lined up and give them one little job and let them get really good at one job and everything will get really efficient. He's famous for that. But there's this other thing that Henry Ford is, is famous for, but maybe less people know it. Uh, Henry Ford is the person who essentially initiated the 40-hour work week, uh, was actually causing people to work less rather than more. And not only that, but he began to pay his employees more than was normal for a laborer. Uh, and so here's what happened. And it's quite counterintuitive. When he cut people's work week back and when he paid them more, guess what happened to productivity? It didn't just go up. It exploded. It exploded. Uh, there's also people now in France working around with this idea of the four-day work week. Uh, in the next 20 years, it'll be here. You know what'll happen? Here's what'll happen. Productivity will most likely go up. Go up. Uh, talking about pressure this morning. And I want to tie it back into the series that we've been working on. We've been in a series for the last month. It's all about decision-making and discernment. Like, how do you make decisions? How do you discern what is good and right and best? And one of the things we've been talking about for the last month is that you need a framework for making decisions. You actually need some guide rails to help you know what is the right thing to do, uh, how to pray, not just that you should pray, but like, how should you pray? So we worked through some of that uh, last week, but here's what I've been thinking about this week. I've been thinking about pressure this week, and I've been thinking specifically about the real pressure that when we face, uh, sometimes when we face bigger decisions, you know, have you ever faced some decisions that made you feel a little more emotionally cranked? You know, a little more emotionally cranked. Uh, here's the thing I've been noticing. We all face all kinds of decisions in our lives multiple times. But here's what's, here's what's most normal. Most of our days are not pressurized with a decision or discernment. Most of our days are pretty boring. And then other days, we're in the middle of situations where the stakes are higher and all of a sudden the pressure gets turned up. Now, here's the reason I want to frame it like this. Most of our days are pretty average, pretty boring. We're just like going to work, putting in a pot roast, bringing the kids home, hopefully go to bed. Like that's most days. And then some days or certain seasons, the pressure gets turned up, the stakes are higher. And one of the things that we see is sometimes pressure doesn't make us better. It actually makes us what? Worse. I uh, want to remind you of a couple things here. Pressure is just another word for anxiety. Uh, and I'm not talking about cl clinical anxiety here, but I'm talking about the anxiety that we all face in our lives. And I was thinking this week about Jim Harrington and Trish Taylor. They have this book called The Leader's Journey. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it for every single person in the room. Every single person in the room. But one of the things that Jim and Trish talk about in their book, The Leader's Journey, is that anxiety makes us dumb. The more anxious you are, uh, whether it's in a moment or in a season, the lower your thinking is. And it's almost like a dial. When you turn up anxiety, you're turning down thinking. Okay? So that'd be one thing. I was also thinking this week of Steve Cuss and his book, Managing Leadership Anxiety. Uh, if you're leading teams of any size at all, I highly, highly recommend Steve Cuss's book, Managing Leadership Anxiety. Uh, if you are a leader of any kind, those two books are like indispensable. And one of the things that Steve talks about in his book is, is this idea. He talks about the common anxieties that everyone faces, but he says a couple things that are interesting. Number one, he says, you never get rid of anxiety. There is no such thing as a person with no anxiety. We're all encountering anxiety all the time. 
Uh, but he, what he says is some of us manage it and some of us don't. Or there are seasons where we manage it and then seasons where we don't. And he gives us this very helpful image. So imagine like a reservoir or a lake or a dam. And some reservoirs have really low walls, Lake Pontchartrain, and some have really high walls, like the Hoover Dam, right? And, and this is in some ways an analog for us as human beings. Uh, the more emotionally and spiritually mature we are, it's as though the walls of our reservoir get higher and you can pour more anxiety in before it spills over and beyond our boundaries onto other people. Does that make sense? And so like, what is the internal work of becoming a mature person? Well, it's the work of like increasing the size of your dam so that you can handle bigger moments. And that's really what I wanna talk to you about this morning. What do we do? Given that, given that it seems as though pressure doesn't make us better, given that anxiety makes us dumb, you turn anxiety up, our thinking goes down, given that, that anxiety uh, comes and goes, but, but maybe, maybe I have a lower threshold, maybe the dam of my emotional ability is pretty low and, and all of a sudden I've got a big decision to make and that decision brings with it some anxiety and all of a sudden it's spilling over the edges and my thinking is low. Uh, that's why this, this, this topic of discernment is so important because in order, for us, in order for us to make good decisions, one of the things it means is, is that in the moments, this is my thesis this morning, in the moments when there is no pressure, we should be building, we should be building our dam. Like, what do you do? Uh, how many of you know, how many of you know what you don't want to do, what you don't want to do is be put on the spot for a moment of discernment or decision-making when the stakes are high, but you haven't done anything to build internal muscle memory. That's what you don't want to do. So I want to put two scriptures up for us this morning to begin with. They're out of Proverbs. They're pretty hard-hitting. This is what Proverbs says in 20, verse 4. It says, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. Woof. And then 21 says this, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. We'll stop there for a minute. Notice that both of these Proverbs are saying something about how the current season might affect the next season. Like what we do now has ramifications on the next season. In the one, in the one, it's about how we spend our time. Let's go back to the other one, Kate. Look, if you're not plowing in the right season, you'll have no food at the harvest. This is saying something about now and the future. You'll hope you see that. But it's also saying, it's also saying there's something about how you spend your time. That's what's kind of like located in this one. And then in the next one, Kate, ding. Uh, in the other, it's about how we spend our resources. So they're both like time located. One is like, well, what are you doing? And then the other one is like, well, how are you spending your resources? So what we do today is gonna to have an effect tomorrow. And as people who want to be discerners, like here at the Vineyard, we wanna be good decision makers. Uh, use the word wise here if you want. Uh, we want to grow our capacity. Uh, we want to grow our muscle memory, our discernment, our wisdom, our skills, our emotional ballast. 
We want to grow our emotional ballast, our spiritual sensitivity, and we want to do this during seasons where we're not under the gun, so then when we are, we have the best possible outcomes. You know, we've talked about this a million times here at the Vineyard. The best hitters in uh, the major league, uh, they spent years taking swings when there was no pressure. You know, the best pitchers, they spent years throwing when there was no pressure so that on, on that October night, when there's a lot of pressure, they can revert to something that isn't even about thinking. It's just muscle memory. Does that make sense? So during seasons when we're not under the gun, we want to grow our emotional ballast. When we're not under the, grow, under the gun, we want to grow our spiritual sensitivity. We want to grow our ears to God. We want to grow our heart towards God. Uh, Steph Curry put up, a thousand shots, maybe a million shots with no pressure so that he could be on target in the finals. You know, all my, all my stuff is sports today. <laughs> Not exactly. Here's one more. Uh, Whitney Houston. Is, it, is Whitney the best vocal ever? Is, probably. Yes. <laughs> Who said that? That right there, here we go. Whit, Whitney's probably, rest in peace, Whitney wherever you're at. But how many of you know that, how many of you know that like Whitney, Whitney probably sang the best national anthem ever. It's, it's kind of, it's undefeated. I heard people kind of freaked out about the Chris Stapleton one the other day. It was fine. Whitney dominates Chris Stapleton. And Chris Stapleton would say that. Like Whitney dominates him. How many of you know that when Whitney sang that national anthem, it wasn't the first time she picked up the mic. And how many of you know that when she was picking up the mic, she spent most of her life singing when there was no pressure, right? I just think those are really useful images. So here's what I want to do really quickly. I want to talk about building our soul when there is no pressure. Three things to build our soul when there is no pressure. Uh, number one, uh, build a life of prayer and listening. I'm just going to say some really basic pastor stuff to you again. I say this all the time, but we're just going to say it again. Build a life of prayer and listening. Uh, there's a reason here at the Vineyard we pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Why? Because we want to do the things that Jesus did, and we want to do the things he said to do, and we're trying to learn how to pray here at the Vineyard. Like, we're literally trying to learn how to pray. And here's what I know. Even the little kids who come in here, now they know the Lord's Prayer. It, we're trying to build our souls. Like, part of what church is, is to build our souls for the moments of pressure. That's part of what we're doing here. This isn't benign. You know, this isn't, this isn't like optional. This is, this is life, y'all. And so what we want to do is we want to build our sensitivity in prayer, but especially listening. So I, here's what I would say to every person here. You want to build your soul in the off season? You got to become a person of prayer, but you got to be a person who's listening. Like, I would love it if every person here had some sort of formation for prayer, but don't just talk to God be quiet and listen for him. How are we going to hear him for discernment and decision-making if, if we're not practicing listening when we're not making decisions or trying to discern? Does this make sense? Build a life of prayer. Uh, Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 19. This is like the most famous verse for the vineyard around the world. This is John Wimber's like favorite verse. Uh, this is what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. What does he do? He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that's what the son does. Like Jesus is saying, I'm looking for God. 
I'm looking for my father. I'm listening for my father. Jesus, and by the way, this is in John 5 when he raises up the lame guy, right? Like, how did he know how to do it? He had spent his life looking and listening, looking and listening. Build a life of prayer. Build a life of prayer. He knew prayer. This is what we got to do. We've got to walk in prayer. We've got to walk in listening. Uh, we, we need to tell God what's happening in our lives, but we also need to practice listening to the still small voice, like on Tuesday when there's nothing happening in your life. Listen for his voice. Learn how he speaks to you. Uh, learn to hear him in the Bible. Like if you don't know how to hear God, start in the Bible. Like <laughs> just read a gospel until something hits your heart and then stop, you know? Just learn how he speaks to you. This is important. Number two, we want to build our souls. Use some language here that we've been using for the last month. Number two, living from and towards consolation. We've been talking a lot in this series about consolation and desolation. Consolation meaning uh, connected to God and others. That's what consolation means in its truest form. It means being connected to God and to others. Um, but we want to live more and more, even when there's no pressure, from a place of consolation, but this is the important part for us, towards consolation, towards greater connection to God and towards greater connection to others. True consolation, true peace, true freedom, true shalom, joy and contentment. Uh, and by the way, all of those things, they, they're found in being connected to God and others. Like, like you can't be who you're truly supposed to be unless you're connected to God and other people. That's just the formula. Uh, make it your goal to live from a place of connection towards greater connection. That's always the true discernment. And if we're talking about living from and towards consolation seriously, we'll have to do a little digging into our lives. Like if you want to take that real seriously, you'll have to dig into your lives. Uh, Tim Keller is really helpful here. Uh, he's a kind of a famous pastor in New York City, and he's he did a lot of his work. A lot of his life, life's work has been, it's been in the area of speaking to cultural idols and, and, and idolatry. Uh, and, and sometimes in America, we think we don't have idols. You know, We think of like little, little wooden things that you might put on your shelf and bow down to. But I just wanted you to know that in America, we have idols. We have idols. And you might be thinking, well, what is, what is an idol? Well, according to Keller, an idol is anything other than Jesus I need in order to be okay. And if you want to live from consolation towards consolation, you will have to identify the things you think you need in order to be okay that are not Jesus. Those are idols. And I want to read this to you because this is strong. This is from Keller. He says, an idol is a functional savior. Well, why do we lie or fail or fail to love or break our promises or live selfishly? Of course, the general answer is because we're weak and sinful. But the specific answer is there is something besides Jesus Christ we feel we must have in order to be happy. Something that is more important to our heart than God. Something that is enslaving our heart through inordinate desires, attachments. The key to change and even to self-understanding is therefore to identify the idols of the heart. If you want to live, if you want to live from consolation towards consolation, we'll have to figure out like, what is it that I think I need besides Jesus in order to be happy? What is it? Name it. I'll, we'll never get there without some of that internal work. And by the way, you do this kind of work, you want to do this in the off season. 
You don't want to do this in the finals, y'all. You, you know, by the way, I've done some of this in the finals. It's not great. LeBron blocks you. That's what happens. It's not good. Uh, number three, number three, uh, develop our constellation of important relationships. About a year and a half ago, I preached you a sermon and it was all about the constellation of relationships that you need in your life to actually to do well. Uh, there's, there's some kinds of people that you need and, and you want to develop a constellation of relationships. And just like a constellation sits in the night sky and it orients you, it tells you where you are and also where you could be going. Uh, if you get the right relationships in your life, it will orient you. It will tell you where you are and it will help you get to where you need to go. And I just want to quickly outline some relationships that every person in this room needs. There's four relationships you need in your life. Four. Uh, number one, you need friends. You need friends. Uh, a lot of us in the room have friends and some of us in the room don't. And here's what I want you to know. Uh, if you do have friends, invest in your friends. And if you don't, do everything you can to get some friends. Make it your life's goal. You will not make it without friends. And let me just tell you what a friend is. A friend is somebody who likes you just for you. A friend is not someone who's principally interested in changing you. A friend is someone who, who appreciates you for who you are. A friend is someone who calls you to the better, but, but the relationship is not principally founded on calling to the better. A friendship is about enjoyment as you are. As you are. Like uh, at my home group this week, we read this beautiful story from Mark chapter two, which is actually all about friendships. You guys remember the lame guy and he had his four buddies who took him to Jesus because the crowds were too thick and then they went up on the house and they tore a hole and they lowered him down. How, do, does anybody here have a friend who would take you to Jesus when you're paralyzed? Can I tell you something? Everybody in the room is paralyzed in some place in your life right now and you're gonna need some friends to take you to the Lord. There's some piece of you that is, that is lame and is unable. And without friends, you, there's a piece of Jesus you might not ever get to interact with. You need friends who will carry you at some point in your life. And here, here's how medieval I am. I think Jesus' story is like money, okay? Uh, how, many, how many friends would it take to pick him up in the story? It's four, right? I, I think if you have four good friends, you got it. Like maybe you can have a few more, but probably it's, I mean, I got a lot of friends, but you know, like when we're talking like real friends who would carry my lame body to Jesus, it's just a handful. You know, if you've got it, you're winning. Develop friends. If you're going to make it in this life, number one, you need friends. People who will carry you, people who are not primarily interested in messing with you, but enjoyment. It's mostly about enjoyment. You need to hear that. Number two, here's something you're going to need in your life at some point. You're going to need a pastor or a spiritual director. Maybe both. Every person in this room is going to need a pastor or a spiritual director at some moment in their life. And, and here's what a pastor or a spiritual director is primarily concerned with. The health of your soul. Someone who can ask you probing questions. Someone who can stand with you and help you get connected to God. Someone who can... Who can interact with you and say, well, these are the areas in which God is already active in your life. Like maybe you're blind to it, but, but you haven't been forgotten and you haven't been left out. God is actually active in your life. God is present in your life. 
Uh, you haven't been forsaken. God is, God is near to you. Uh, you need somebody who's going to pray with you. You need someone who's going to pray with you. You need someone who's going to stand with you so that you could stand before God. Uh, everyone in here is going to need a pastor or a spiritual director. Uh, number three, all, uh, this is almost without question. I'm trying to normalize this more and more here at the Vineyard. At some point in your life, you're probably going to need a therapist. And therapists are not the same as pastors and spiritual, spiritual directors. Um, here's why you're going to need a therapist, probably. Uh, because you were born into families. <laughs> because you were born into families. And you, you have an origin story that you didn't ask for. And it comes with baggage. And even if you have a really good family, even if you have a really good family, there's, there's familial, let's put it back to this, familial muscle memory that is working inside of you. And if you want to be a discerner, if you want to be able to make decisions, if you want to live toward God, you will probably need someone, you know, six months at a time, a year at a time, for a few seasons in your life, specific moments to help you untangle where it is you came from, the family system that has made you you so that you can see it from the outside and you can know that this is, this is the calculus that I'm always applying to the geometry of my life. Does that make sense? I'm mixing metaphors on purpose. Raymond's looking confused. <laughs> Work with me. But you'll need somebody to help you untangle it. Right? Like we, we had that example a couple of weeks ago. Like if, if the unwritten rule in your house, if the highest value in the childhood that you grew up in is fun, and you don't know that, let me tell you something. That will be imprinted on you. You will take that into the future. You'll have big decisions that will face you. And if your highest familial value is fun, you will run away from anything that doesn't seem fun, even if it's the hand of God trying to bring you into greater responsibility for the goodness of people and the well-being of the planet. Does this make sense? Like, like we have, to, okay, you need friends. You're going to need a pastor. You're going to need a spiritual director. You're going to, at some point, probably need a therapist. And then finally, you're going to need a coach. Everybody in the room needs a coach. At T-ball, you need a coach. You want, you, want to, you, want to, you want to get good at T-ball, you need a coach. You want to get better at basketball, you need a coach. You want to learn how to play tennis, you need a coach. Uh, can I tell you something else? Uh, you want to be a better leader, you're going to need a coach. You know what's wild to me? I was thinking about this. More sports references, sorry. I was thinking about this this week. Michael Jordan had a coach his entire career. He's the best basketball player who ever played. Had a coach his entire career. His entire career. And then, and then LeBron James has a coach. Steph Curry has a coach. Lionel Messi has a coach. It doesn't matter who you are or how good that I think I am at whatever it is I'm doing. If I want to grow in that thing, I will need a coach. Now apply this to any area of your life. Uh, some of us here, uh, we're on career paths where we need to become better leaders. Here's what I want you to know. If you want to be a better leader, you're going to need a coach. Uh, some of us here want to be better fathers and mothers. Uh, here's what I'd like to say. You might need a coach, like someone who could actually coach you. Some of us here want to, like, want to steward business in Campbellsville, and you want to do it in a greater, in a greater way. You're going, you're going to need a coach. 
Someone who can show you things that you're blind to, who can, who can see the things that you're skilled in and refine it. Refine it. Uh, in his career, Tiger Woods has changed his swing at least three times due to back injuries. And you know what he got every single time? A new coach. A new coach. If we want to grow, you're going to need a coach. So if you want to build your soul, what would I say this morning to us, Vineyard? If you want to build your soul, if you want to increase the size of the dams on your reservoir, if you want to be able to handle the pressure of big moments so that you can be a discerner, so that you can be wise, so that you can make good decisions, number one, lean into prayer and listening. Lean into prayer and listening. Lean into prayer and listening. Number two, live from and towards consolation. And then number three, Develop the constellation of relationships in your life. And this will take a while, but develop a constellation of, of, of relationships in your life that are pushing you towards the things that God is saying, doing, and leading. Does this make sense? All right, we've landed. If you're on the worship band, come on up. I want to do two things this morning. Uh, number one, uh, some of us in this room are under pressure. David Bowie is singing to you. Stevie Ray Vaughan played guitar on that track. Did you know that? He did. SRV. It's, it's the coolest thing. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. I'm going to do a school of rock here one day. <laughs> Teach the children. But some of us here, some of us here are under pressure and you actually have real decisions to make. And we're going to sing one more time this morning, but when we're finished, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. We want to stand with you. We want to, we want to be some friends who maybe are with you in your most anxious moment, and, and we just want to take you to Jesus, you know? Some of us here are maybe paralyzed, and like you've you, you got to like figure out what's going on, and we want to, we want to carry you. Uh, but there's also maybe some other people here. Uh, some of us here are feeling pretty free, but maybe we realize we need to build the interior muscle memory for the future. Maybe if you look back over your life in the last seven years, you're like, it's kind of like, I haven't done great. <laughs> you know, if you review the last decade of your life, it, it's, there's this theme of every time the pressure gets turned up, you just like... <clears throat> You know, and, and maybe, maybe God is this morning inviting you to build the interior muscle memory to be able to handle a little more, to work on autopilot when the moment calls for it. And we'd love to pray for you as well. So here's what I'd love, church. Why don't we stand up? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.